0: I think sending is important because not everyone will come and see what we have here at the church. There has to be some avenue where we have people passionate enough to leave and to go and to go and to be Jesus to other people. When I get to go, I'm like, oh, I'm, a, I'm a missionary right now. And at a young age, I knew that God had called me and pricked my heart for missions. And so, yes, here I am, Lord, send me. There's that we can have all this heart and love for jesus and if we aren't looking for ways to send out the gospel and to send out love and send out hope then we really are not sharing god all right good morning everybody great to see you thanks for being here i want to welcome everyone who's joining us online and if you're a guest with us this morning i want to give you an extra special Welcome. We are so glad you're here. If you have a Bible with you, let's dive in. Let me hear your pages turning to the New Testament book of Acts. And when you find the New Testament book of Acts, I want you to find chapter 11. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11 during our time together this morning. I want to say as you're turning there, what a great women's conference we had here at Mount Pleasant yesterday. Of course, you know, the snow started on Friday afternoon and uh, things got a little bit dicey, but everybody who worked in the front of the scenes and behind the scenes was incredible. Uh, We had 540 women registered for the conference. I don't know what the exact turnout was, but this room was pretty full. I had the opportunity to spend uh, one session sharing from the word and it was just such a great blessing. I want to give a shout out to our women's ministry director, Christy Brink. And I know if she were here, she would give a shout out to all the people on her leadership team and all the other people working behind the scenes to make that happen. Uh, as we come to the final week of this special New Year's message series called Love Your Church, I want to share with you, especially if you are our guest with us this morning, that this message will be a little bit different than what we normally do because we're going to be Focused um, by looking at the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11 about this church and the reality of living out the mission statement of this church. Of all, there are so many things about this church that I love, but at the top of the list would simply be this mission statement that we embrace. You can see it on the screen. Changing the world for Christ, one life, one family, one opportunity at a time. In fact, I want you to read that with me. Let me hear your voices. Here we go. Changing the world for Christ, one life, one family, one opportunity at a time. That mission statement was actually born from a question that I asked this church several years ago when we were in Matthew chapter 28 and we were doing a message series on what we call the Great Commission where Jesus sends out his disciples uh, to basically change the world. And the question that I would ask each and every week was simply this, can a single church in central Indiana change the world? And as I've said before, I know that sounds like a really bold question, even a little bit crazy, because the world is a really big place. I mean, right now, the, there are over 8 billion people in the world. You can see the population of the United States, and next year you can see the population of the world, and it's growing day by day by day, and it's almost laughable to think about being a part of anything that changes the world, and yet what I want all of us to understand together is that is the mission of followers of Christ, to change the world, and I really believe in my heart that to describe it as anything less than that would be an act of disobedience. I say that because when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, this is what he said. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, everyone say go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16 that the 11 remaining disciples were there with Jesus when he spoke those words. Matthew... uh, 11, or excuse me, 28 uh, verse 11 specifically mentions their name. And I say remaining disciples because uh, as you know, Judas had already taken his own life. But there are others who believe that it's possible that it was a larger group than that. That the group of over 500 people Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 6, who were actually eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus were also there. But It really doesn't matter, you know, whether there were 11 disciples there or whether there were over 500 followers of Jesus there. What Jesus did was he gave a life, a world-changing task, a world-changing responsibility to a really small group of people, much smaller than this church, for example, the size of this church. Clearly, Jesus believed that his followers could change the world. And as you move from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tell us the story of Jesus into the book of Acts, which tells us how this ministry all began to unfold, you see that the followers of Jesus did, in fact, begin to literally change the world. And for the sake of time... We're just going to highlight what one single church in the book of Acts was able to accomplish. And that brings us to Acts chapter 11. So, if you got your Bible open there and you're able this morning, I want you to stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. We're going to look at Acts chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 26, or excuse me, verse 11. And we're going to read down to um, verse 26. You follow along as I read. Now, Those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask that God would bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Of all the churches written about in the book of Acts, the church at Antioch was a model church when it came to changing the world. Antioch of Syria was one of the largest cities in the first century Roman world with a population somewhere around 300,000 people. It was located at a chief intersection between Egypt Asia Minor, Greece, Italy, and Mesopotamia that made Antioch a strategic hub for spreading the gospel to cities around the Mediterranean and beyond. And let's remind ourselves of how this all began. The passage we just read tells us that after the stoning death of Stephen, who was the very first Christian martyr, and his stoning death happened at the very end, Of Acts chapter 7 a large persecution broke out against the Christians who were living in Jerusalem and so they fled To seek refuge some other place and many of them traveled to this city of Antioch And we read that in the beginning those traveling to Antioch shared the message the good news about Jesus only with the Jews But then some men came from Cyprus and Cyrene and they really broke protocol and they began to share the good news of Jesus with the Greeks in other words with Gentiles and because Jewish and Gentile believers together in the same spiritual community was something new that got the attention of the church in Jerusalem so they sent this man Barnabas to see what was happening and he reported I absolutely love this we should all love this he reported that the grace of God was at work in the city of Antioch at the church at Antioch let's talk about what that means for a minute When Barnabas went to Antioch, he was an eyewitness to the truth that people were being saved by the grace of God. By the unmerited kindness and the unmerited, undeserved favor of God, they were being saved through faith, personal faith, in Jesus Christ. And it didn't matter who they were, and it didn't matter what their heritage was, they were being saved. Somebody should say amen to that. Because that's the way it's supposed to be in the church. That's the way it's supposed to be in every church. One of the problems that churches can sometimes run into when it comes to conversion, evangelism, is what I'll just call the not one of us barrier. And that happened in the book of Acts with regard to Gentiles in the beginning of the... New Testament church. In fact, if you went home today and you, we started reading in Acts chapter 11 at verse 19, if you went back and you read Acts chapter 11 verses 1 through 18, you would see a good example of what I'm talking about. Because in the chapter before, in Acts chapter 10, the very first Gentile convert to Christ was a man named Cornelius. And if you read his story, it was no less than an act of, a supernatural act of God that brought the apostle Peter to the home of Cornelius where he shared with him and other gentiles there the good news about Jesus and so Cornelius became a believer as well as others but this was such a dramatic departure from the current protocol that the church in Jerusalem and the apostles wanted to have an explanation. Peter received a lot of criticism for sharing the gospel, the good news, with Gentiles. And so, really, the first 18 verses of Acts chapter 11 is Peter giving that explanation. And when he's finished, Acts eleven eighteen says, when they, when the apostles, the other apostles, the church leaders, those who were in, in positions of authority, when they heard this, they had no further objection and praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. And so something new began to happen. And the people who were a long way from God weren't ignored any longer because that's what can happen sometimes with people who are a long way from God but are not like the rest of us who are in a relationship with God. It's not that we wouldn't share the gospel with them if they came to us. It's more that we wouldn't go to them. We wouldn't see them as potential believers. We wouldn't include them because they're too different. In other words, they're not like one of us. And that simply can't happen in any church. And so to their credit, the church at Antioch didn't let it happen because they didn't let anything get in the way of what the grace of God can do to change the life of any man, any woman, or any child anywhere. And so lots and lots of people were being saved, given new lives in Christ through the ministry of the church in Antioch. Made it an incredible, an incredible church. But what was happening in Antioch didn't stop there. Because if we think back to the text that we read, after Barnabas went to Antioch and he saw that the grace of God was alive and at work in the church in Antioch, his first response was to go find somebody named Saul of Tarsus. I'm sure most of you. Know who Saul of Tarsus was. Saul, who later became Paul and ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament, was a man who, through a dramatic conversion experience, you can read about in Acts chapter 9, went from being someone who persecuted Christians to someone who became a Christian. And God had a huge plan for Paul's life. And interestingly enough, a big part of that plan began, began rather in this church in Antioch. Because after Barnabas got Saul and brought him back to Antioch, this is what we read. Again, in Acts 11, verse 26. So, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Listen, folks, this was no ordinary church. And it just gets better. I mean, if you've got your Bible open to Acts chapter 11 still, just scroll down a little bit from where we stopped reading. We stopped reading in verse 26. Just go down to verse 27. Let's see what happens next when we read verses 27. 27- Through 30. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. I mean, this church just gets better and better. The longer you read about it, the more you hear about it, the more you're impressed with the ministry of this church because these Christians in Antioch, along with everything else, along with this free willing, freewheeling attitude about the grace of God, which is the way all of us should be, they were also incredibly generous also. They were big-hearted and generous. And when this famine was prophesied, the first thing the disciples in Antioch did was they responded by generously providing a gift to their brothers and sisters in Judea To help them through this difficult time. And ultimately, they sent Barnabas and Saul to deliver that gift in person. Because this was not only a church where great levels of evangelism and outreach were happening, but this was also a church that was concerned with meeting the needs of others, the physical needs of others. Can you begin to see what an incredible church this was? But the significance of the church doesn't stop there. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn one page to the right from Acts chapter 11 to Acts chapter 13. And when you get to Acts chapter 11, or Acts chapter 13, I want you to read with me the first three verses. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers <clears throat> Barnabas, Simeon, rather called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Here's what that means, folks, in practical language. That means on top of everything else, on, being a, on top of being a church where the grace of God was flowing freely to all men everywhere... On top of being a church that was concerned about meeting the physical needs of people who were struggling and people who were suffering, this church also was a sending church. They understood that the gospel message needed to expand beyond the boundaries of their own church and even their own city, and they became a sending church because God used the church at Antioch as a launching pad for multiple missionary journeys, you have Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, and that's really what we just read about in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. That's the foundation for that first missionary journey. Now, if you know anything about it, you know that Paul and Barnabas also took with them a, a young man named John Mark, but we read about them being set apart to be sent off in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. When you get to Acts chapter 13, verse 13, John Mark, for whatever reason, decides, I don't want to do this, and he turns back and he leaves them. But then, if you were to take your Bible and turn one page or two pages over from Acts chapter 13, you'd get to Acts chapter 15. And in Acts chapter 15, down in verses 36 through 40, you read about Paul and Barnabas' second missionary journey. Now, the truth is, this second missionary journey for the two of them actually became two missionary journeys because... What we're told in the text, that a sharp disagreement came up between Paul and Barnabas because Barnabas wanted to include John Mark once again in the second missionary journey, and Paul was like, no way. He deserted us once. What's to keep us from thinking that he would desert us a second time? And they had such a sharp disagreement, the Bible says, that they went separate ways. And uh, Paul took a man named Silas and went to Syria and Cilicia, while Barnabas took John Mark and they left for Cyprus. And this was the second missionary journey that was set forth from the church at Antioch. You turn your Bible from Acts chapter 15 to Acts chapter 18, and then in verses 23 to 23, you see Paul's third missionary journey. You see what I'm saying about this church? Are 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 you starting to get a feel for what this church was like? A church where the grace of God was made available to anyone and everyone? There were no barriers. There were no distinctions. The only thing that you needed was the one thing that all of us have in common, and that was the, that's that we're, we're imperfect. We're fallible. We're sinners. It was a church where discipling people so that you can grow in your spiritual life and grow in your faith in Christ was a priority. It's a place where they were willing to help people in need, even if it meant they had to sacrificially give themselves, it was a place where they were willing to send people out to different corners of the world to make an impact on the world. This was a world-changing church. This church in Antioch was at at least in the context of the first century church, an outside-the-box thinking church. And I think that's the thing I love about it the most because they were so different. They did things other churches weren't, doing for the sole purpose of promoting the life-changing grace of God and the impact it can have on any life. I will tell you that I think of Mount Pleasant Christian Church as an outside-the-box thinking church. Let me just give you one example. <clears throat> it's been several years ago. I, I, I don't even know how many. When I went on a Thursday morning from my office out to the impact center that's on the back of our campus here so that I could share a message from the scriptures with the people who had gathered there in that first session to receive food and clothing. Mount Pleasant Christian Church had a food pantry. They started all the way back in 1995. I wasn't the pastor at the time, and, uh, and really to say it was a food pantry would be... Uh, uh, an exaggeration it was basically a food closet and there was a faithful couple an older couple and for the life of me I can't remember their names although I know some of you here would remember their names who looked over that food closet faithfully week after week after week and would help a handful of people when they came along but in 2005 things changed dramatically and we had a food pantry, a genuine food pantry in a home that the church owned that, was, that used to be on Bluff Road. It's been torn down since then. And we also had a clothing and household items ministry in a home that we owned on the street behind the church. And that street and all of the homes that are, were there are now gone. And they both just blew up in terms of the number of people that they ministered to and served each and every week. And so in 2013, we built this impact center back here. And the impact center is a 15,000 square foot building that is basically a ministry center that houses both the food and the clothing ministry. And uh, we have what we call Impact Thursday and Impact Saturday. Impact Thursday, we have a Uh, uh, an opportunity for people to come in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. And on Impact Saturday, we have the opportunity for people to come on Saturday mornings. Well, one Thursday morning, I went out to the Impact Center and I stood in the back. And it was crowded. It was full. There was standing room only. And I watched as the Impact Center volunteers loved and served and ministered to and prayed with the different people that had come. And then I got up and opened my Bible and I shared a message with the people and they were so engaged and they were so responsive. In some ways, even speaking back to me, don't get any ideas, speaking back to me as I was sharing the word with them in such an intimate space, there are probably a little over a 100 of them In the room. And when it was all said and done, I went back to my office and I was just overwhelmed with what I had experienced because it felt to me like church. In fact, it felt to me like church more then this feels like church to me sometimes. And I don't want you to take that the wrong way. It's just so easy for us to come to church on the weekend and act like everything in our life is okay and hide the brokenness and hide the hurt and the pain and the struggle because we somehow have bought into this belief that this is not the place where those things can be expressed when just the opposite is true. Don't misunderstand what I said. I love this so much. But there was no hiding or pretending on that moment or on that morning in that moment. And so God just impressed on my heart this singular truth. There is no set model of what a church looks like anymore because it may have been a Thursday, Thursday. And people may have been in that room because they needed food and clothing, but we were having church together. And so we stopped calling those meeting times sessions, and we started to call them services. And we hired a man to be the impact pastor. And we have church out there every Thursday in three services and every Saturday morning in one service. And the impact pastor is their pastor. And he preaches to them and teaches them and he prays for them and he baptizes them. And he's done funerals for them and performed weddings for them. Every single thing a pastor does in any other church setting. And really, all of that gave birth to what we call our impact ministries here at Mount Pleasant. Because the other thing I began to think is, how can we take what happens here and move it to other places where there are people who have great need. And over the course of time, God kind of worked that out with what we call our impact ministries. And we identified a neighborhood down in the old Southside area of downtown, and we, we, we moved a pastor and his family into a house down there so he could live in that neighborhood and start to learn about that neighborhood, and so he could love that neighborhood. And we bought a building that we remodeled, and we planted a church down there, and that became Impact Old South Side Christian Church. And then there was a church, a Christian church, who'd been around for over 100 years in the Fairfax neighborhood of Indianapolis that had declined to the point where they're gonna have to close their doors. They were ready to turn their building over to another organization so they could sell it and benefit from the proceeds. But we met with them, and eventually they voted to turn their church over to us. It was called Fairfax Christian Church. And so we received it, and we launched it. We gave it a new start as Impact Fairfax Christian Church. And now it's a dynamic ministry in that neighborhood that happens not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. And they have their own food pantry and service on Wednesday night where they're feeding dozens and dozens and dozens of people. And they're ministering to dozens and dozens and dozens of people. And their church is growing. They're baptizing people, something that they had not done for years in that church. And then a similar thing happened with a church in Indianapolis called Bethany Christian Church, which is now Impact Bethany Christian Church. And we're just a few weeks away from launching the fourth Impact Campus, because there's a church in the Claremont neighborhood of Indianapolis called Claremont Christian Church that is soon to become Impact Claremont Christian Church. And it's so significant, friends. You know, in that Claremont neighborhood, it's changed so dramatically. And what happens when churches begin to decline, quite honestly, and we've talked about this in this message series, is that they begin to decline because they they, they stop welcoming, they stop receiving, they stop reaching out to and ministering to their neighbors, especially as their neighborhoods begin to change because they don't know how to do it. I'm not faulting the people necessarily. They just don't know how to do it. And so in that Claremont neighborhood, just around the corner from this Christian church, this Christian church that's been in that neighborhood, we're not necessarily in that neighborhood, but has been around for over 200 years. It is the 16th oldest independent Christian church or church of Christ in the country. And right around the corner, because the neighborhood has changed so dramatically, a Baptist, what was once a Baptist church is now a mosque. And so this need is so great. And so now we have our our Mount Pleasant campus that we're a part of right now. We have our impact center that is doing church in a whole different way. And across the city of Indianapolis, we have these four other campuses. They're all different, but they're all the same in that they make a commitment to living out the same mission of changing the world for Christ, one life, one family, one opportunity at a time. So don't tell me that a single church in central Indiana can't change the world because that's what the church in Antioch did. And that is the mission that God left to a handful of followers. That's what Jesus told them to do in Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission. So how does that happen? How do we make sure that happens? Well, let me give you a a few things real quickly, and I'll try to do this fast. We make sure that we continue to live out this mission of changing the world for Christ, one life, one family, one opportunity at a a time through a commitment to Christ's mission of reaching lost people. That's where it all begins. That's how everything began in Antioch. Followers of Jesus scattered by the persecution that broke out in Jerusalem went to Antioch and they shared the message of Jesus with everyone, with the emphasis on everyone. And remember what we read, and the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now I'm gonna be real transparent with you for a minute. I chose this message to be a little bit different and say that if there's one aspect right now of being a world-changing church that's not fully functioning here is that we are not reaching as many lost people as we need to be, as we should be in this neighborhood as well as the other neighborhoods around the city of Indianapolis. We're reaching them, but not the number that we should be. I know that Matt preached a message last week on being a witnessing church and that the service has ended with a renewed commitment to the, uh, to spiritual influence, to sharing spiritual influence and embracing the one life ministry. And I'm so thankful for that, but everyone needs to make this a priority. Uh, in the community meditation this morning, Andrew talked about the difference between obeying God and just agreeing with him. I'm sure we all agree with God when it comes to the need to reach lost people, but how many of us are obeying that commission and doing it on our own? sharing spiritual influence on our own. And we've given you a simple way to do that in this One Life ministry. We just ask you to do three things with people who are a long way from God. Develop a friendship, everyone can do that. Discover their story, everyone can do that. I discover people's stories standing in the grocery line for three minutes. Everyone can do that. The third thing is discern next steps about how to share spiritual influence and point them to Jesus. And that's where everybody gets stuck. Well, listen, how about doing this? How about just making a commitment to do this? When you develop a friendship with someone, you discover their story. How about making a commitment to simply extending an invitation to them to come to church or to come to a women's conference or to come to a Bible study or some kind of event that's happening on the campus here at Mount Pleasant Christian Church? How about just start there? But the bottom line is we've got to renew this commitment to reach lost people. That's what we've got to do. We, we rejoice in the fact that we have partners around the world, global mission partners around the world that are doing this. I think about Central India Christian Mission, we've been Living Link Partners with Ajay and Law, and Ajay will be here in April to preach one weekend. We've been Living Link Partners with them for almost 30 years, and in the 30 years of that ministry, they have literally reached over one million people in India. And we rejoice because we know that we're a part of that. But that needs to be happening here as well. We've got to have that commitment to reaching lost people. And it's not just my responsibility. It's everyone's responsibility. Number two, if you want to be a church that changes the world, then you've got to have a commitment to discipling believers. One of the things we saw about the church in Antioch is how Barnabas and Saul strengthened the new believers for over a year they were a part of. that that were a part of that spiritual community. They met with them and taught great numbers of people is what we read in Acts chapter 11. And that's where uh, believers, followers of Jesus were first called Christians. You know, many people, that's an interesting thing about the church in Antioch. And many people think um, that, and many Bible scholars think that in the beginning, followers of Jesus being called Christians was a derisive thing. That was a derisive or a negative term that had been given to them by others because it was a common practice of the Greeks in first century culture to do that. But whether or not the beginning of being called a Christian was a derisive or a negative thing, ultimately, that name Christian, as you know, came to mean something so much more because it literally means little Christ or little anointed ones. It describes someone whose life is different, different from the rest of the world. And that's where we're struggling in our modern culture today because there are so many people who profess to be Christians who look no different from the rest of the world. There's no discernible difference in the lifestyle or the life habits or the practices of so many people who say that they are Christians from people who don't even care about Christ. And that's got to change. And one of the ways we change that is by discipling people, by helping them to grow in their spiritual life and their spiritual faith. We have a variety of different ways you can do that here through group experiences, small group experiences, through a variety of different Bible studies and things like that. That's why we make such an effort every year to get you involved in something more than just coming to worship, as important as that is. I told you a while back that I was a part of the group of men that went through the very first Better Man Bible study that happened last fall. It was on Thursday mornings at 6 o'clock in the chapel. And I went through the whole thing. I didn't miss a week for 11 weeks. I'm going to be real honest with you and tell you, getting up at 5.15 every Thursday morning for 11 weeks kicked my butt. I'm telling you, it did. I was never more thankful that uh, that Thanksgiving was on a Thursday than I was in the fall (laughs) of 2023 because I got one day to sleep in for a while. But I want to tell you this, and I'm so proud of you guys who are going through the Better Man Bible study right now on Monday nights. God bless you. God bless you. And I'm going to tell you this, I've been a Christian for over 55 years in my life, and that Better Man Bible study had a big impact on me. It did. It helped me grow in my faith because it was something different that I was doing. And it took me outside of my regular habits and put me in a position to hear from God in a very unique way. Every single person who was a follower of Jesus needs to be pursuing a deeper walk with Jesus in some way, some fashion, some form. And we give you lots of opportunities to do that here. But the truth is many of you choose not to. And that needs to change. Number three, a world-changing church has a commitment to serve others. We saw that in the church in Antioch because of the way they responded to their brothers and sisters in Judea as the result of a great famine. They gave sacrificially to meet their need at a difficult time. Uh, and can I just say this, and I'm at the risk of being misunderstood, and especially, I'll just remind you, if you're a guest, that's a little bit different message. Come back next week and we'll be uh, in a more regular message mode. But I will just, I'm not ashamed to say this or afraid to say this. I don't think there are many local churches that serve their communities, their neighborhoods, and the different corners of the world through global mission partners as well as we do. And I'm not saying that boastfully. I'm saying it as a matter of fact, and I'm saying it from humility. But we need to be vigilant in this area. I shared a devotion in, with our staff uh, this last week at a staff lunch uh, about serving and the fundamental uh, verse for the devotion was Paul's words in Ephesians two ten, where he says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And when you think about that, that's really a good description of serving for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In the book of Acts, Jesus is described in one portion by, uh, by, um, the words he went about doing good, we, when we do good, that's a, <clears throat> a good definition for serving. And serving, we need to understand that serving is not just something we do. It, it needs to first and foremost be something that we are because we're followers of Jesus. And we need to understand the significance because when we serve, we benefit others. That makes sense. We're helping other people. When we serve, we bring attention to God because somebody says, Well, why are you doing this? Well, I'm doing this because I want to honor God in heaven. I'm doing this because God has put this in my heart. And so when we serve, we bring attention to God. And number three, when we serve, we grow closer to God. We become more like Jesus as we live our lives more like the way He lived. And that needs to continue. And that needs to continue in this church regardless of who's standing right here where I'm standing today because you know my time here is coming to an end. But this church is so much bigger than me or any other pastor who has stood on this platform. This church is all about you following Jesus together. I'm so thankful that we've been able to acquire the Claremont Christian Church. Because I said, that church is 201 years old. It was founded in 1823. And that church, even though it's getting ready to go through a dramatic transformation, becoming a part of our ministry, that church has the same purpose and the same function in that neighborhood that it always had. Because churches are bigger than names and bigger than pastors Churches are people who, together as a body, follow the example of Jesus. And then finally, there needs to be a commitment to global impact. The church in Antioch was a launching point for missionary journeys. It was a missions-minded church, both locally and globally. And uh, responsible, for, if you go through the book of Acts and you read the results of those missionary journeys, responsible for uh, so many church plants and so much impact in the first century world. And I'm so thankful that we're a church who, through global mission partners, are able to plant churches. I'm so thankful that we're a church who, through our impact ministry, not may not necessarily plant uh, a lot of churches locally, but give churches restarts and new futures locally through the impact ministry, something that needs to continue. We have a mission partner in Poland called ProM, and several years ago, you know, you so many of you, we, we've, we've been to so many mission trips, and so many of you have been to Poland, but several years ago, we, Mount Pleasant Christian Church, sat down with leaders from ProM, and we came up with a 25-year church planting strategy with a goal of reaching cities in south-central Poland, and that church planning strategy is being lived out even right now today because they are just days or weeks away from opening their third church plant in the city. Uh, I can't remember the name of the city, but in the area around where that ministry uh, happens. And that's just one example. We have so many great global partnerships uh, and we have so much impact around the world. Can I just pause and say, I want you to understand that while Mount Pleasant Christian Church may not be the largest Christian church in the world, and not even in the top 100, there have been a handful of years when we've been listed in Outreach Magazine's fastest-growing churches in the country, 100 fastest-growing churches. One year, we were number 100, but somebody has to be 100, right? But I want you to know how significant this church is in the world today. And we need to be committed to doing everything we can to make sure that that continues. Not for our glory, but for the glory of Jesus. I could go on, but I'll stop right there. This message series is called Love Your Church because that's what every single one of us needs to do. We need to love our church. But it needs to be loved with more than just words. It needs to be loved. With actions, that love needs to be demonstrated in all the ways we've talked about over these seven weeks in belonging, really belonging to a church, in gathering, in making it a priority to gather for worship and welcoming anyone and everyone who comes along in serving people, in witnessing to people, and in sending and going and sharing the gospel message to others in any way possible. This is, this is a church that is genuinely committed to changing the world for Christ. I've asked you to do a lot of things over the 22 plus years that I've been your pastor. And I'm not gonna stop doing that until my last weekend here. And today I'm asking you to love your church more than you've ever loved it before. Because I'm asking you to make it a priority to be used by God through the ministry of this church to live out that mission statement, to change the world for Christ. Say this with me, one life, one family, one opportunity at a time we will never change the world by going to church but we can change the world by being the church Father in heaven thank you so much for this time a little bit of a different message today I know as we wrap up this new year message series but I pray you would just speak to our hearts and you just move us and motivate us and challenge us and convict us to be the people you've called us to be In the church, you've called us to be together as a body and a spiritual community and help us to embrace with joy the mission of changing the world for Christ. One life, one family, one opportunity at a time. I pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed and said, Amen. Amen. amen.